All right, Mark 9, 14, here we go. Let's jump in. What to do when faith does not work? What to do when faith does not work? Let's say that together. Ready? What to do when faith does not work? We're going to look at it and find out from the Word of God. Mark 9, 14. When they returned, the other disciples saw a large crowd surrounding them. Now, Jesus had just come down off the Mount of Transfiguration. The glory of God came upon him in the beginning of Mark chapter 9, and he met with Elijah and Moses, and Peter, James, and John were there, and the glory of God really uh, rested upon the Lord Jesus, and they had this awesome mountaintop experience. And then they came down off the mountain into the real world. Isn't that just like church? You'll have an awesome church service. You'll feel the presence of the Lord. The band is rocking and, and Candy's prophesying. And man, people are getting healed. And then, and then you, you walk out in the parking lot and you've got four voicemails from family and, and all of Hades has broken loose. How I many know you go from the mountaintop to the valley pretty quick? I mean, you know, sometimes the, the distance from the mountain to the valley is a real short distance. You have a great week at camp, and, and you just, kids are all fired up. And I'll tell you this, last night, I almost sent them to your house, Pastor Michael. I was threatening my children. I love my sweet little Ava. I love my sweet Lenore, but they, apparently they hadn't seen each other enough at camp. Apparently the boys were over here and the girls were, so they had, so they had some bickering and fighting they had to do to get in. And, and I told them, I said, I'm going to pack you up and ship you back to Camp Jackson if you don't stop. And I think they were ready by that point for me to send them back. But you have this awesome mountaintop experience with God, and then you come back down to real life. Now, that's why we've got to have the Word of God in and be ready. And we need those mountaintop experiences so they can help us in the valley. So Jesus comes off the mountain. He's in the valley, and he sees his disciples, and they're all there arguing. And he walks up and he says, what are you arguing about? Look at verse 15. The crowd saw Jesus. They were overwhelmed and they ran to the Lord. Get this picture. Get this image. Verse 16. What are you all arguing about? What's going on here? What's, what are we fighting about? And in verse 17 says this. One of them in verse 17 piped up. Instantly this man said, teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit and it won't let him talk. He was mute. Verse 18, whenever the spirit seizes him, notice this, the Bible says it throws him violently to the ground. Imagine living with this as a parent. Imagine living with this daily burden, this daily drain of having to always watch your children, always be on alert for their safety. You hope when your children grow up that they can fend for themselves. But this young man here needed constant supervision. Verse 18, the spirit seizes him, throws him violently to the ground. He foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. They could not do it. Their faith did not work. Someone's faith did not work. This man is desperate. He brings the boy to Jesus. Jesus is up having this great encounter with God. So, well, I guess the disciples will do. Disciples, fix my son. They could not do it. Their faith did not work. Have you ever been in a situation where it seems like your faith didn't work? It wasn't clicking. You weren't receiving what you were believing for in the way that you were believing for it. Follow with me now in verse 19. Jesus said to them, to the crowd, not only to the disciples, but also to the crowd. He said, you faithless people, you faithless generation, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Look at your neighbor and say, how long must I put up with you? 
Just, I'm just quoting the Bible. I'm just quoting the Bible. How long must I put up with you? Jesus said, bring me the boy. Verse 20. So they brought the boy to the Lord. And when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent seizure, a convulsion, and he fell to the ground, withering and foaming at the mouth. How many know if, if I saw something like that, that would pretty much do it for me. That would pretty much freak me out. Just going to be honest with you. Verse 21, how long has this been happening? Now, I want you to catch this here. Sometimes Jesus would just heal, but I want you to notice, Jesus didn't say, bring me the boy, be healed. All right, next, bring me the boy, be healed. Who's next? All right, you, be healed. Jesus engaged the man. He said, how long has this been happening? Tell me about this. What's going on? And we said last week, Jesus is interested in a relationship with you. Jesus wants to flow in your life out of relationship, not just because he's the miracle worker, but he wants to know about your situation. Jesus has time to listen to what's going on. And he said, how long has this been happening to this boy? And the father said, since he was small, since he was a little boy, verse 22, the spirit often throws him into the fire or water trying to kill him. Notice this here. Have mercy on us. Help us if you can. Say that with me. If you can. Say it again. If you can. Now let me just pause right here and tell you that what is in question here is not the ability of Jesus. What is in question here is not the power of God. So Jesus flips this around. And we said last week that, that, that you know, Jesus uh, might have been a little bit perturbed here. He kind of looked at him and said, what do you mean if I can? I've got the hairs of your head numbered. Before the world was, I am. And I created all this universe by the word out of my mouth. And you're asking me if I can? The problem is not if I can. Look what he said in verse 23. What do you mean if I can? Anything is possible to the person who believes. So my ability to work in your life is not in question. My will and motivation to work in your life is not in question. What in, in question is this. He said anything is possible if the person believes. Now look at verse 24. I love this man's honesty. I found myself here many times. And even in spite of this man's a shortfall when it comes to faith, Jesus still touches his life. Notice this here. The father instantly cried, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. How many of you appreciate the honesty of this man? I believe, but help my unbelief. So this message is not a message on faith. It's a message on unbelief. Us coming to the Lord honestly and openly saying, I do believe, which the demons believe and tremble. Just believing is not enough. We have to believe and then we have to receive and we have to confess. And there's, there's things that we have to activate in our life, especially concerning salvation. The demons believe, but they don't confess Him as Lord. What does Romans 10 say? If you believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believing is part one. Confessing Him as Lord is, is the second part to receiving your salvation. Lord means boss means I'll do what you tell me to do. I'll honor you in every area of my life. Now notice this here. I believe, but help my unbelief. Jesus saw the crowd, verse 25. He rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit makes this boy uh, unable to hear and speak. I command you to come out of this child. Never enter him again. Don't you love the authority of Jesus? I just love it. Now Jesus could have just walked up and healed the boy. But he worked with the man's faith. He worked with his unbelief. He's taking him on a journey because he cares about people. 
You see, the next time this little, the next time this man needed a miracle or a healing, Jesus may not have been around. So he's building faith in him. He's pushing out doubt and unbelief. He's helping him for his future with his family. Notice verse 26. The spirit screamed through the boy and the convulsion left him. The young boy appeared as dead. There was a murmur going through the crowd. He's dead. But Jesus took him up and helped him. Verse 27. Helped him to his feet. Now look at verse 28. Here's where we're going to springboard from this morning. What do we do when faith doesn't work? Afterwards, Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples and they asked him, why could we not cast out the evil spirit? Why did my faith not work? Say that with me. Why did my faith not work? Now we turn over to Matthew 17 and we see the answer of Jesus. Same session, same series, just a different account. There's a few different words here Matthew pulls from his memory. Matthew 17 and verse 20, uh, look what it says here. You don't have enough faith. Jesus said, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, if you had faith as small as a grain of a mustard seed, so it's not the size of your faith, it's the size of your unbelief. If you had the smallest faith, even as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here, and it would move and nothing would be impossible. And then verse 21 in Matthew 17 says this, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And we told you this last time. I, I'm not trying to convince you of my theology. I'm not trying to argue with you if you think something different. But my interpretation is this. It's not, it's not this kind of demon comes out by prayer and fasting. How I many you know any, an, an ounce of the power of God will drive away demons? So I believe it's this kind of unbelief. There are many, many kinds of unbelief. And concerning the disciples, concerning the man, this kind of unbelief only comes out by prayer and fasting, which leads me to this PowerPoint for life. We mentioned this last week. It's not the size of your faith that causes you to, to not receive from God. If you have enough faith to be born again, you have enough faith to receive anything from the Lord. It's the size of our unbelief that keeps us from receiving from the Lord. So if you're dealing with unbelief in areas just like this man, that kind of unbelief comes out by prayer and fasting. That kind of doubt and unbelief leaves as we spend time with God and invest in His Word. Are you tracking with me? Unbelief is a weapon Satan uses to keep us from walking in the fullness of God. What is, what is the weapon of God, so to speak? What does God use to work in our life? Faith. He uses faith. So the enemy uses a weapon to keep us from receiving from God, and it's unbelief. Now look at the forms of unbelief. Is this good? Helping anybody anywhere? Amen. Look at the forms of unbelief. Let's just review real quickly. Go ahead and pull them all up. Here's the forms of unbelief. Number one is fear. Fear is the emotion of unbelief. How many of you have ever been afraid? I've been legitimately afraid when I was dating the lovely Miss Tara. I was about 18 years old, and somehow George and me and George began wrestling. And I don't know why I would wrestle with George, but I guess I wanted to show him I can earn your daughter's love. And the man put me in a headlock in his front yard. It is a miracle I'm alive today. I was afraid for my life. I was fearful. But God spared me. Aren't you thankful for it? I said, don't kill your pastor. Don't kill your pastor. Prophetically speaking, don't kill your pastor. Oh, come on. That's good. So fear is the emotion of unbelief. When God tells you to step out and do something, fear comes in and says, you can't do that. What if you fail? 
I can guarantee you as Pastor Randy and Miss Emily are stepping out to launch a new church, I can guarantee you there's been opportunity for fear to come in and say, what if you fail? What if you don't make it? What if it doesn't get off the ground? What if people reject you? What if you've made a mistake? How many know anytime you step out to do something for God, fear will always come immediately. That's kind of a gauge. Now, I'm not talking about wisdom from the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about discernment. I'm not talking about that little prompting on the inside. But anytime I feel the Lord leading us to do something and immediately fear comes, that's kind of a good sign that I'm on the right track because Satan didn't want it to happen. What if we move our weekend services to a middle school and everybody leaves? And what if we don't, you know, what if this happens and that? And, and what if we step out to do a, an event in the fall and we spend all this money and plan all this? And what if nobody comes? Fear is the emotion of unbelief and it will stop you from doing anything great for the Lord. The next one is there's no way. There's no way. Doesn't the Bible say in Isaiah that God will make a way where there is no way? He'll make ways in the river. So there's, there's no way that we can do this. There's no way that we can afford this. There's no way that 5,000 men plus women and children can eat with a few fish and loaves. That's unbelief. There's no way. But when there is no way, that's when God likes to show up and make a way. If you can do it on your own, why do you need God? Come on, amen. There's no way a church can build a building debt-free in this economy. Sure there is. Come on, amen. There's no way my family can be debt-free in this economy. Sure there is. There is a way. Number three, the third form of unbelief is lack of resources. We can't do that as a family. We can't support a missionary monthly as a family because we are lacking resources. Sometimes there may be a legitimate lack of resources, but if there's a legitimate call of God, you need to take some steps of faith and let the Lord meet you there. And so lack of people, lack of personal resources become challenging. And then last one from last week is our unrenewed mind. Our unrenewed mind will block you. It's human thinking. Doesn't the Bible say in 2 Corinthians 5, we walk by faith and not by sight? So these are some things concerning unbelief, and we left you there last time. Now, for a few minutes this morning, let's jump in now to new ground, and let's talk about relief from unbelief. Are you ready? Say it with me. Say, I'm getting relief from unbelief. Here's some things I believe the Lord has put in my heart and showed me, and we're going to travel through these quickly here, and I just want you to see these, and we'll track along. And Jared may cut the screen off in a minute because he's going to be loading the, the video for the youth, so if he does, we'll, he'll kick back on and catch back up with us. But number one, write this down. Here we go. Number one, ready? Don't blame God. Say it with me. Don't blame God. Anytime we find ourselves in a tragedy and anytime we find ourselves in a, a situation like the young man, we tend to blame God. You know what I love about the man in the story? He didn't come off the mountain and go, Jesus, it's your fault. It's your fault you haven't trained your disciples. It's your fault that my son is this way. He did not blame God. And if we are ever going to overcome unbelief, we must not blame God for things that God did not do. It's never the transmitter, but it's always the receiver. God, God's ability, just like in this instance, is, is always there. And so if I'm not receiving from the Lord, I must honestly evaluate myself. I must honestly evaluate What's going on in my life? Not, not working for, not earning or deserving God's favor and grace and blessing because it's already there. Look at your neighbor and say, you already got it. Tell them you already got it. 
But if I'm not receiving from the Lord, I can either blame God that he doesn't love me enough to help me, and I can blame God that he hasn't fixed this problem in my life, or I can evaluate and ask myself some tough questions, and I can begin to look at where I'm at, and maybe, maybe I'm right where I need to be, and it's just not the right timing. Maybe it wasn't a no. Maybe it was just a not yet. I love telling my kids, not yet. They'll say, can we do this? Not yet. They'll, they'll say, can we do this? I'll say, we'll do it tomorrow. And they'll show up the next day and say, hey, you said we could do this today. I said, no, I said we could do this tomorrow. <laughs> you can do it tomorrow. Get it? Tomorrow never comes. Tomorrow is always the next day. So we don't want to blame God. Now, look at James chapter 1 and verse 13. I'm real passionate about this. I'm just, I'm just one preacher that believes that God is a good God. He's a good Father, and He loves us. And yes, He disciplines us. Anybody ever been disciplined by the Lord before? But God does not give us uh, tragedy and, and illness in our life to teach us things. Uh, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is the teacher, and He can teach you all things. God, God doesn't need to collude with evil to teach you something. God is much bigger than that. And so I'm just one preacher that believes God loves us, and He cares for us, and He's redeeming our life. He's not putting this stuff on us, but when life happens and when people happen and when circumstances happen, God is there to redeem us. When life gives you lemons, God is there to make lemonade. Can I have an amen? So I, I, I get this from James 1.13. It says, let no one say. And this in the language here, really, the writer James, if you read the, the tenses here, he's really slamming the table saying, let no one say, meaning people were saying. People were blaming God for things he didn't have anything to do with. I met a family a few weeks ago who lost a child in, in, through my chaplain program. Pastor Michael and myself were chaplains with Knox County Sheriff's Department. We, we have a great opportunity to minister to this community, and I ministered to a family that lost a child. And, and I can guarantee you, God didn't have anything to do with that young family losing that child. We live in a cursed, fallen world. We live in an evil world. And I love you, but if you told that young family that God took your baby because he needed another angel in heaven, I'm probably going to punch you in the mouth. I'll turn in my credentials next week, you know. I mean, it's just, well, I would. It's just, God doesn't do that. But there are people who can't explain tragedy, and they say, God did that to you. God needed another flower in heaven. There's an evil world. We, last time I checked, the Bible says that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. We live in a cursed, fallen world. Look at James 1.13. It says, let no one say when he's being tempted or being tested that God is tempting me. God is never tempting to do wrong, nor does he tempt anyone else. And another translation says, with evil. God is not working with evil. God is not tempting us and testing us. To, to God is not testing you to try to get you to leave church or testing you to get you to leave your wife or testing you to get you to just walk out on your family and your job. God is not doing those things. On down in verse 17 in James chapter 1, it says, Every good and every perfect gift, every good thing, every perfect thing is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's not even any variation. There's no shifting of turning, meaning he's not good God one day and then the God Father the other day. If you don't pay your tithe, your house is going to burn down. Please, come on, give me a break. If your house burns down, it's because you have 1923 electric and you're too cheap to fix it. Come on, amen. God didn't burn your house down. He loves you. He redeems you from the curse. Doesn't the Bible say he redeems my life from the curse? Doesn't the Bible say he picked me up out of the pit? Doesn't say he put me in the pit. He picked me up out of the pit. 
So number one, to overcome unbelief, you cannot blame God. Here's why. You ready? Let me bring this home. If you think God is your problem, then how are you going to believe him to be your answer? If you think God is causing this tragedy and chaos in your life, then how are you going to believe him to bring the answer if he's the cause of it? You'll settle in and go, well, I must just, this just must be my lot in life. I can tell you, Sister Janice didn't lay down when they said, you've got cancer for the second time. She didn't lay down and go, well, this just must be my lot in life. She fought it with every ounce of her body and praise God that she did. Come on, amen? So we cannot blame God. Number two, what's the second relief from unbelief? Number two is simply this, spend time in the presence of God. Remember, he said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Praying and fasting does not get God to do more things in your life. What it does is it positions you to receive what God is trying to do. There's a lot God wants to say to me, and I'm so busy running my yapper that I can't hear. But if I spend time praying and I spend time fasting, what is fasting? It, it aligns your body and it says God is in charge. Stomach is not in charge. Self is not in charge. Desire is not in charge. And it, it forces you to really hear from the Lord in a real clear way. And so Psalm 97 and 5 says, The hills melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. So the, the reason prayer and fasting causes unbelief to leave is because when you're spending time in the presence of God, faith rises in your heart and it pushes out unbelief. I wrote this in my notes. You're going to like this. When you magnify God, it minimizes your problems. When you magnify God, it minimizes your problems. Now, will one session in the presence of God cause everything in your life to be better and magically fixed? Absolutely not. Sometimes things take a while, but you have to continue to pray. The Bible talks about faith and patience. Say that with me. Ready? Faith and patience. Boy, New Testament Christians, American Christians, we want faith, but we don't want a lot of patience. We don't want a lot of staying true to the word and hanging on. But time in the presence of God will fuel you and give you the energy that you need. Anytime I have an extended time in God's presence, I always come out just energized. I come out more, more faith-filled. And, and there are times in my life where, where I'm not receiving something from the Lord. I'm not seeing God move in a certain way, and I'm not seeing results. And I will spend time praying and fasting, not because if I fast more, God will love me more and he'll do more things for me. That's not it at all. I pray and I fast because I'm not in a line. Pastor Michael preached a few weeks ago about alignment. And how many know if your car is out of line, it's just going to mess all everything up. Nothing's going to work right. Uh, I was in a car one day and the steering wheel was over like this. And I didn't know which way it was left or right or, or up or down. He just had to watch the road. And so when we become praying and fasting brings us into alignment so we can hear from the Lord. Is this good? Is this helping anybody? You're awful quiet today. Do we need more coffee or something? All right, now look at verse number, uh, check out number three. This is relief from unbelief. Ask the right questions. I've heard people say, you should never question God. And I, 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 don't, uh, I don't fully subscribe to that. Now, I, I always ask the Lord questions. And sometimes he goes, that's a stupid question, you know. You, know, you ever had a teacher in your life go, there's no stupid questions? True story, honest true story. I had a Spanish teacher. My friend's in the back, very fluent in Spanish. I had a Spanish teacher in high school, and the first thing he said was, class, there's no dumb questions. I raised my hand, asked a question. He said, that's the dumbest question I've ever heard. I promise you, true story. How many of you are surprised at that? I did it on purpose. I just wanted to see if he was telling the truth or not. 
But we've got to ask the right questions. Now, here's what we do not ask. We do not ask God, do you love me? Because God, if you love me, how could you let this happen to me? We never ask a question concerning God's motive. But here's what we do ask. Is, is I ask, Lord, why, why am I going through this? Lord, why have I not received yet? And, and many times, I don't get the answer I'd like. Sometimes it's an answer I would rather not have. But I never question God's love for me. I never question His motives. I never question His will towards me. I never question His ability. Remember the man in the story who said, If you can, and Jesus said, What do you mean if I can? All things are possible to the one who believes. And so I never question if God loves me. I never question if it's his will for my family to be blessed and healthy. And I never question if it's his will for my family to be committed and sacrifice for his will. But I do ask the right questions. Number one, write this down. I ask for wisdom. I ask for wisdom. What did Solomon ask for? He asked for wisdom. Look with me at James chapter 1 and verse 5. I think it's on the screen. It says, but if any of you lack wisdom... I mean, this would be a good scripture for your teenagers in the house. Hallelujah. If any of you lack wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, meaning it's okay if you don't know and it's okay if you don't understand. And when you ask God for wisdom about the situation, he doesn't get mad at you because you don't know. We had our youth cookout the other day, which ended up being pizza. Because I didn't want to stand over a hot grill. It was so hot Friday, just to be honest with you. And I heard Bryce like pizza better anyway. And we borrowed the PlayStation 3 from the church so they could play some games. And, and I, it was still at my house. And last night, Noah came home super excited because he has like a 1982 Wii. I mean, that's all he's got. It's not an HD or anything. Whenever the Wiis came out. It's Atari, okay, whatever it is. He's got an old deal. And he was so excited to play the PlayStation 3. And, and I had been messing with a computer, and so the HDMI cable wasn't hooked in. How many of you have no idea what an HDMI cable is? My mother raised her hand, hallelujah. She'll call me on the phone, want me to fix her TV, and I'm like, what am I, Dell tech support? So I said, if you feed me, I will come over and fix your electronics. So she'll whip up some dinner, and we'll go over, and I'll fix her deal, and she'll feed us. But Noah wanted to play the PlayStation 3, and he said, he came up and said, Dad, I don't know how to hook it up. I did not take my size 10 shoe and kick him back down the steps and say, how dare you ask me, you eight-year-old? What do you mean you don't know how to hook up the PlayStation 3? You know what I did? Son, that's no problem. Let me show you. Walk down. We did it together. Now, next time if he comes up and says he don't know how to hook up, I'm going to kick him down the steps because I've already showed him once. I'm teasing for all you DCS people. I love my kids. Would never abuse my kids. I didn't rebuke him for asking. When we come to the Lord with our problem, we say, God, why am I going through this season? Why, why have I not received the answer? Why, why is my mom dealing with cancer again? Why, is my, why did I just lose my job? Give me wisdom, Lord. I don't know what to do. I need to know. God says, come on, son. Come on, daughter. I'll tell you exactly what to do. He never rebukes us. But look at verse 6, James 1. In verse 6, let's keep going. So ask God, 
But when you ask, be sure that your faith is in God alone, meaning I'm not trusting in my bank account, I'm, and I love doctors and I love medicine. Please don't hear anything I'm not trying to say. I'm pro-doctors. We have a number of nurses and doctors in this church. If you need to go to the doctor or you need medicine, I will help you. I'll be the first one to help you do that. But if you go to the doctor and if you take the medicine, make sure your faith is still in God. I love the doctors, but they're practicing medicine. Jesus has got it down pat. Can I have an amen? He's not practicing anymore. And so I'll go to the doctors and let them help, help me. But I can tell you, by God, and I mean by God, by God, my faith is in the Lord. It's not in the medicine in that little bottle. Come on, can I have an amen? Now, don't hear anything I'm not saying. Don't ever go to a church where they tell you don't go to the doctor. Those people are crazy. And they will serve you Kool-Aid in a few weeks. Okay, all right? Don't ever go to a place like that. I'm not against doctors. I'm, but if you go, put your faith in God alone. We're trusting in God for the answer. So when you ask, make sure your faith is in God alone. Not God and, but God alone. Sometimes I think we don't receive because our faith is in God and. And God is waiting on us to get to the point where it's God only. I believe that's a, a help for someone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty. Somebody say, oh me. <laughs> is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Divided loyalty. It must be towards the Lord. Look at verse 7. For that man ought not... For that man ought not respect, for such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. When you are double-minded, meaning it's faith in God and my job, or it's faith in God and the doctors, again, go to the doctor. We're talking about where your hope and faith is, or, or it's, it's God's provision and my bank account, or it's God's provision and my credit card if God's provision doesn't come through. Come on, let's be honest, this is where we live. I trust God, but man, if, it, if, God ain't, if God's taking a nap, I got my credit card just in case. Come on, this is where we live. This is day-to-day -day life for us. Scripture says, let that person not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So what do we do when faith doesn't work? What do we do? We evaluate uh, our unbelief. We don't blame God. We spend time in His presence and we ask God for wisdom. Number four. Is this helping anybody anywhere? Man, this is good. I'm going to buy the CD and give myself an offering. Praise God. All right, number four. Here we go. Starve your doubt. Look at your neighbor and say, doubt and do without. But if you believe, you'll receive. So we got to starve out doubt. We have right now in our house, we've been, been infiltrated by fruit flies. They are terrible. And I think I'm going to reverse my strategy because I've been trying to catch them. I've been cutting up rotten bananas, putting it in water, putting a little funnel so they can swarm down in there, but they're too stupid to fly back out. I saw it on the internet. And I've caught like 100. But now I think they figured out that I'm feeding them. And so they just keep coming and coming and coming. So I think no more sweets, no more candy, no more chocolate, no more nothing until these fruit flies are gone. I want to change my strategy. I want to starve them out. In, in the American church, we feed our doubt. Oh, God, could, well, that, that could never happen. I don't believe that. I just heard so-and-so is going to 
going to take a mission trip. And so I don't believe that. I heard this church in Nicaragua is going to dedicate the top store of their building by September. There's no way. I don't believe that. We are constantly, continually feeding our doubt. We need to starve our doubt. How do we do that? Write this down. Number one, focus on the positive. Focus on the positive. But it's so easy to focus on the negative. Don't be a problem pointer. Be a problem solver. That's what I'm teaching my kids. They'll come in and they'll say seven things that are negative. And I'll listen and I'll nod and I'll try to smile and I'll say, okay, now tell me the positive. And, oh, there's nothing positive. There has to be a positive. I flipped my bicycle all the way down and it's broken and the tires are all off. And tell me the positive. There's no positive. I'm bleeding and I'm scraped. And tell me the positive. You did not die. <laughs> you, you were able to walk back to the house. Come on, let's focus on the positive. I want to challenge you. Are you ready? Go one week. One week without saying anything negative about your life, your family, your situation, your children. Let's starve out doubt. Let's focus on the positive. Anytime I have a problem, I'll go to my manager at work. I work a job during the week, secular job. And I'll go to him and I'll say, hey, boss, here's a bad problem. But the good news is, in the office, they, they kind of made fun of it now. And now it's catching on. They always say, we're going to approach this the way James does it. Hey, here's a problem. So, you know, so-and-so is really bad. But the good news is, and, and I always end it, but the good news is, and so you may have to look really, really hard for some good news, but I promise you there's some good news somewhere in your story if you'll look hard enough. Everybody say, I'm going to focus on the positive. Even though it's so easy to focus on the negative. I wrote this down here. Don't give your problem a voice. I'm not a big, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm big as far as confessing the Bible, but I'm not like over the top like confession cop, you know. You've seen people that just kind of go overboard on it. But I, I do want you to, to not give your problems a voice. Don't, don't lend your problems your vocal cords because words have power. Words mean something. Words are important. How many know your words mean something? God's words created the universe. Words are so powerful. Watch out for double-mindedness, meaning believe in God one minute and then not believing the next. Look at number five right in hand here. Not only do we want to starve our doubt, but we want to feed our faith. And that goes back to praying and fasting. I'm not trying to get God to do something, but I'm feeding my faith. Listen to a podcast. Come to church. How about that? Hey, how about you come to prayer meeting? Can I have an amen? Anybody else out there? How about you come to Wednesday night Bible study? Amen. You see what I'm saying? These are opportunities to feed our faith. Be in church. Be in the Word. Be around encouraging people. If I were you, man, I would, I would be around TC and Samantha as much as I can. These guys are so encouraging. They just love God. I'd be around encouraging people. I would do Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Get on the podcast. Get on the Internet. If you need CDs, get them in the mail. Whatever it takes, get God's Word in so you can feed your faith. Number six, and if you want to get our students ready, we're going to wrap this up in a minute. Number six, and we're going to close this up here in just a second. Now, I've brought you to a point here on purpose. I've brought you to a journey. Let's take note of the journey we've been on. 
Remember, this kind comes out only by praying and fasting, this kind of unbelief. Now notice this here. We're not going to blame God. We're going to spend time in his presence. We're going to ask the right questions to see if we're in a line. We're going to starve doubt. We're going to feed our faith. And then that puts us in position. Somebody say position. position. Now, we are, now we are ready to move from unbelief to faith. How do we receive from God? Faith. What keeps us from receiving from God? Unbelief. How do we push the unbelief out so faith can rise? Now we listen attentively, number six, for a word from the Lord. We've prayed, we've asked, we've aligned, we've put ourselves in position, and now we listen carefully. I love sometimes we'll put the babies in bed, try to put them in bed, and then one will get one to sleep, and the other will wake up, and then we'll get that one to sleep, and the other will wake up. I guess so goes the parent of four, I guess. And then Noah, we'll get the two babies in bed, Noah will come up to get water and fall over the gate, and then everybody's awake. But occasionally we'll get all of them in bed and we'll sit on the couch and be like, wow. But we're listening carefully in case Tate cries, in case Lillian cries, we're listening. How many of you have ever been hunting? Any hunters in the house? How many of you have ever actually shot anything hunting? Okay. I, 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 would, I'm not a, uh, I, I wouldn't be a hunter. I'd be a shooter. I don't know if I'd actually ever hit anything. But, you know, you have to listen. You have to be quiet. You have to turn the cell phone off. You have to turn the Facebook ding off. Right? You can't listen and talk at the same time. My wife, I tell my wife all the time that I can listen to you and talk and do other things. And she says, no, no, you can't. She wants my attention. How many of you have ever been in the middle of nowhere trying to go somewhere and you're following directions and you pull up at the gas station and the man is as country as can be. And he says, you go down three stop lights, you turn left by the tree, you go by the pond, and by, you go by the pond, then you turn the fourth stump, by the fourth stump, you go by the red barn, and there you go. What are you doing? You are listening very carefully. You're listening attentively. I want to tell you this in honesty as we close this up. If you're not going to listen to the Lord, there's no need praying, there's no need fasting, there's no need asking for wisdom, no need spending time in His presence. It's not about you talking. I think when we pray, we talk too much. I'm teaching myself when I pray to have a dedicated time where I don't talk. And I'll start talking, praying, nope, <laughs> I'm not supposed to talk right now. Doesn't Scripture say, be still and know that I am God? Now, do it at appropriate times, you know. Sitting at Cracker Barrel with your family is not the time to have this giant listening to the Lord session, okay? Everybody's going to think you're a little bit weird. <laughs> Don't tell them you go to this church, praise God. But we need to listen to a word from the Lord. Let me show you this as we close. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41. Listen to this, okay? Can, can we have two more minutes? Are we okay? All right, here we go. Now, when the kids come in, don't be distracted, okay? Everybody focus here. It had not rained in years. How many years? Years. It had not rained in years. There was a famine, there was a drought. And I don't have time to get into the history of it here, but Elijah said to Ahab, go up and eat and drink. 
For there is the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. And this was way before the rains have ever come. This was way before. It said, I hear the sound of a heavy rain. I hear the sound of a shower. He heard something on the inside of him way before he actually saw the answer. Before the rain ever came, he heard it on the inside. And I'm telling you that when it comes to receiving from God, when it comes to the unbelief in your life, God will give you a word and he will give you an image on the inside and you will have to hold that and the manifestation may not be anywhere around the corner, but you've got to hear it on the inside. You've got to listen for a word from the Lord. It might be go forgive this person. Did, 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 did that come across on the microphone? Do I need to say it again? Is this thing on? It might be go and forgive this person. It might be you've been really mean to your wife. In my case, you've been really mean to your husband. I'm just kidding, not Miss Tara. She's sweet. Don't tell her I said that, okay? She's not in here. She's so sweet. It might be remember that missions pledge you made 10 years ago at that other church? I never told you to stop it. Do we need batteries? Is this the, I don't know that this thing is on. Man, I, I went to stop a, a pledge one time I made. I was on staff at a church way back, like 10 years ago, and I went to stop the auto draft. And the Lord said, did I tell you to stop that? Oh, no, I'm sorry. All right, we'll keep it. We'll keep going. That's why I really pray about supporting missionaries, because when I support a missionary, it's a lifetime commitment. Ain't none of this one year, 12 months, six months stuff. I'm going to do it until God says stop or they come off the field or whatever. When we're pushing away unbelief, we've got to listen to a word from the Lord. Sometimes it's a word of instruction. Number seven, as we close with this, last one, not only should we hear, but we should obey. Look at James 1.22. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're deceiving yourself, fooling yourself. Hebrews 4.2 says, We have good news, but we must mix the word we've heard with faith. They did not mix the word with faith, and it did not profit them. How many of you want the word of God to profit you? You want the word of God to profit your family? You must mix the word that you hear with faith. Faith is action. Faith has a work. Faith is doing. Faith without works is dead. So when you get the answer, when you get the word, then you must mix your faith. And proof that you've mixed your faith is because you begin to do something and take action on it. God tells Pastor Randy he's going to plant a church. He begins to take action. He begins to do something about it. And that, friends, is how we get relief from unbelief. Amen? Does this help anybody today? Let's take a minute and let's pray.